Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Marco. Sean. Can you hear the sirens? Uh, I am attracted by the sirens. I cannot resist. <laughs> I'm going to go there. <laughs> You're attracted by the sirens. <laughs> yeah, I'm going mythological here. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, I'm thinking more of the red, red flashing light kind with uh, with some audible sound too. Well, see, that's that's how our mind works. Different, you can tell from these things. Exactly. exactly. Uh, no, but I was I thinking think pirates already. The pirates, exactly. Yeah, that was a totally different path, pirates. And uh, but we we were both in the same spot in the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, now I was actually, as I mentioned, I was listening to sirens. Uh, cruising the streets here in New York, which is why it made me say this. Uh, but the point that I'm going to make is there are things that alert us to something happening, right? Either something bad is happening or somebody needs to get somewhere where, there, where there's something bad happening. And there are signs like that all over the place. Sometimes we don't see them. Sometimes we don't even know they're there. Uh, Maybe it's audibly not there or visually not there. And we kind of miss, miss the uh, mark on uh, addressing issues that come our way. And that's clearly uh, something we've seen in the world of, uh, of supply chain and maritime deliveries and maritime things in general. And uh, I'm excited to have this conversation looking at open source intelligence and looking for the signals from both sides, good side and bad side, and the impact uh, exposing those signals and using those signals can have on society and, and the businesses that uh, support society. So you're telling me that we're not paying enough attention. We're not. No, you're going not. But there are and people that, that do that. There are people that do that clearly for good reason, but also for hobby, as I've learned in, in watching her video, which was the inspiration for this conversation. I'm going to go ahead and introduce Ray Baker to the show. Ray, thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be here. And uh, I saw a tweet which caught my attention. Uh, I saw your video, which inspired me. And I'm excited to have this conversation all around open source intelligence, protecting uh, the maritime world, if you will. 
tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're up to. I know you have a black badge, which is really cool in my mind, <laughs> probably our listeners as well. Uh, what are some things you've been up to and, and why open source intelligence and specifically in uh, maritime? Uh, yeah, so I'm relatively new to cybersecurity um, slash infosec in general. Um, I before before getting into OSINT and cybersecurity, I was a graphic designer. I did that for about 15 years. Um, surprisingly, does not pay very well. Um, so after 15 years, I was kind of I was over it. So I I wanted to look for something more technical. Um, that also paid well. So I started going back to school for cybersecurity. Um, while I was doing that, I I wanted to like go all in because I was spending the money to go back to school as an adult, which is terrifying. Um, so I, I started writing blogs and I started doing podcasts like this and talking, um, giving presentations. And I found a full-time job through that, um, mostly through Twitter and my my talks. So I've been working in um, cyber recon, uh, open source intelligence um, at a large consulting firm for uh, almost two years now. And Maritime, I, I did as a hobby. I, I started writing a blog on Maritime because I was trying to think, I, I use blogs to kind of teach myself how to do things. So I was looking around like, what has have people not really gone into that I can kind of uh, get an angle on and write something that's interesting to me and maybe somebody else. But I didn't really think anyone would care, to be honest. Um, so I wrote a blog on Maritime and it, it got a lot of views and I was really surprised. Um, and then from there, it just kind of, I became like the maritime person somehow. <laughs> it just like snowballed. And and now I, I mostly do it as a hobby. Um, just looking into things that are happening, happening like present time, um, some historical stuff. And I, I find it fun. Well, it's interesting that you're, you're on a actually... boat. You're on a boat. <laughs> Virtually on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and according to Sean, boats are a lot of fun because I know he is passionate about it. I am it. a big sailor. I, I actually want to uh, cut me, you know, your background, which, of course, we talk about a lot in our on ITSP magazine. Even our other hosts, they tell this story, this journeys, unusual, uncommon journeys into cybersecurity. And, and of course, you know, graphic designer making the jump into that. It's uh, it's quite different. But, but I think there is that inquisitive mind that always always work either you know you, you research yeah. for something you know many people that we know they they come from being librarian and then they find their their vocation in a way <laughs> into into cyber security so uh, i would like for, from you to tell me a little bit more about and not just me of course to our audience <laughs> what does entitle to be to do doing OSINT in general and, and in particular for for the maritime industry? Um, so I, I marry a lot of different parts of OSINT. Um, I, I think people coming into the field of OSINT um, don't necessarily understand how many different facets of OSINT there are. You know, you have people who watch airplanes, you have people who just hunt for people. Um, you have people like me who do maritime stuff, but it, it all crosses over at some point. Like I will, do OSINT into a ship, a vessel, 
but then I also want to know who owns the vessel. So that becomes corporate reconnaissance. Then I want to know who those people are that run those businesses that own the vessel. So I'm looking into specific people and then maybe ships land on the vessel. So I want to, or uh, flights land on the vessel. So I want to watch airplanes. Um, so there's a, I, I get to touch a lot of OSINT just in, in maritime. And I think it works reverse. You know, if you're looking into airplanes, oftentimes all these things cross too. So I, I find, that's why I find like uh, travel, railway, airplanes, uh, ships, cars. I, I like, I, for some reason I'm into the, the transportation side of OSINT, but it also allows me to touch all the other parts that are also interesting. So can you take us through what, and uh, we probably don't have time in this podcast to walk through it all, but maybe just to like paint a, paint a picture, graphic designer here, paint a picture <laughs> for us of the maritime ecosystem. How, what's done in that space? I know I can pick out supply chain and, and defense as a couple things. So what's done in that space and what, what does that ecosystem look like in terms of systems, satellites, and what have you? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a few different things that people look into um, in reference to maritime. You have, like you mentioned, defense. So especially we see now with like Russia and China um, just monitoring their movements and our movements and, you know, all the posturing between is just fascinating to me. Um, but there's also things like illegal fishing um, or smuggling, uh, human trafficking, and, and all those are also very important and lots of people look into those. Um, and again, that crosses over into uh, systems like satellite, RF tracking, um, just the, the comms on the ships themselves. There's lots of, I mean, it's basically a, a moving uh system, a system of systems right. on the ocean. I mean, uh, if, if someone were to hack into a ship, and I may be jumping the gun here, you might have a question for this later, but if someone were to hack into a ship, there are so many things they could do with that. They could um, change the speed, they could change the course, they could make it look like it's the ship is doing something that it's not. Um, maybe they want to hack into a, a, the satellite on the ship and make it look like the ship is in, you know, the Pacific and it's not actually there. Or maybe they want to spin the ship in a circle and, and adjust the, you know, the actual direction of the ship or slow it down or make it look like it has a lot of supplies on it or none at all. Um, there's, there's so much you could do inside that system that could, I mean, you could crash a ship into another ship if you wanted to. Yeah, it's unreal. It and, sounds and, like a fun game. That's right. It's been <laughs> yeah. sunk by a battleship. Yeah. Exactly. You want to play a, a game of thermonuclear war? Uh, <laughs> you know, Wait, bumper I'm, cars, bumper cars. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I, I want to jump in because I, I'm connecting. I have a visual in my head. I kind of come from advertising and design myself. So I, I think That's visuals. Cool. And I saw your Medium post about all those red, green dot i mean green dots on the ocean and you don't think that there is all this happening in an ocean right like there's so many vessels oh, as wow. you mentioned yes. now and we just had not too long ago a conversation about security in space with our friend uh, joshua belk and he was 
pointing to a website that is called Stuff in Space. Yes. And you that. look at that and it's I, it just blew my mind. I mean, <laughs> I know how terrifying. much stuff there is in space, but I didn't think it was that much. So I like maybe to to see like, you know, you, you mentioned all this happening here, all the things that you can do. And what is the the actual effect on on the on the business, on the security? I mean, what what is the bad guys? goal when they do these things that you just mentioned? Uh, I mean, there's multiple goals. I mean, it really depends. Are the bad guys trying to smuggle goods? If they're trying to smuggle goods there, or, or maybe uh, weapons, nuclear weapons, or just arms, they want to hide their identity. You know, they want to get from one point to another point and have no one know that they did that. So, that's not necessarily, I guess, hacking. That's just modifying the satellite system on their ship so they can change uh, their location. They can change their identity, their base, basically their VIN number of the ship, the MIMSI number, the IMO number. They can adjust those to make it look like they're someone they're not. Um, you know, you could maybe you're a nation state actor and you want two ships to collide. I mean, <laughs> or, or you want to take out an oil ship maybe, and you'd want to wreck a ship into the side of an oil ship and cause an oil spill. Um, I, I can think of a number of, of things like that, that, you know, would be interesting to an adversary. Mm -hmm. That's pretty scary. It is. But um, I, I think the, the interesting thing to me is that, and I, I can't help but think supply chain. I, I know we're, yeah. we'll probably touch on the Suez Canal thing in a minute, which uh, you do a lot in your presentation on. But when I, when we think supply chain, I think many of us forget that supply chain means a collection of entities that all have some exposure to risk and then are the vector into the rest of the supply chain. Yeah. So, I think in your in your presentation you talk about thirty orgs with a hundred people and two hundred information <laughs> yeah. exchanges just to do something, and I think it was to to see one one shipment uh, through from start to finish yeah. or something like that. Talk to me about the the parts moving in there and how where where those vectors are in that in that space. Yeah, so I think the the biggest vector is the fact that most of these uh, connections in the chain use things like just writing things on pieces of paper. <laughs> like there's, there's no system for a lot of this stuff. It's, it's outdated. Nobody really thinks, I, I mean, people are starting to think of supply chain and ships in, in general as uh, a vector into these things. But um, I don't think it's still thought of as important as like, you know, IOT or, or whatever. Um, but there are so many ways to get in each of these. If you're transmitting a shipment from one place to another, you know, you have people loading it onto, uh, into a cargo crate. You have people loading the cargo crate onto the ship. You have people inventorying and sending documents through email and other systems that aren't really secure. Um, you might be able to get a manifest for everything that's in that, you know, cargo container. Um, then it's on the ship. You have access to where it's going, who it's going to, where it came from, how much it weighs, like uh, an abundance of details about the specific shipment, whether it's, 
you know, just parts for your iPhone or oil that is going to North Korea. You know, there there's so many places that you could get in if you were an attacker. And I think overall, we're trying to like rein that in. But it's such a big problem that I think it's going to take a lot of time to, to fix those holes. Uh, I love that uh, visual, Ray, that uh, I'm, I'm getting in my head. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk to me about, you said it's on paper, a lot of it, but not everything is on paper. Some of it is sensors and beacons and, and systems of record that, that yes. do store the, store the stuff digitally. And I'm wondering what of that information is exposed outwardly uh, with either no access controls or <laughs> limited or poor or whatever. Uh, yeah, and, I, I would and, think and a why? lot of it is scanned. Why? <laughs> like RF scanning just right? into the system. Um, I mean, I don't have specific details about, you know, how they do that, but based on everything else that I've seen, I would think that a lot of it is not protected as well as it should be. Yeah, because what I'm envisioning is the, the, the bad actors using the information they have available to them. And, and this is the stuff that you, you have fun looking for and finding, and they could use it. I think in your, your Suez Canal example, you talk about ships being diverted and potentially uh, pirates. We can talk about pirates now, Marco. The, the pirates <laughs> knowing this and being prepared and, and, in waiting, right? <laughs> <laughs> as one example. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, there's not too much. There still is piracy. There still are pirates. I, I think it's a very specific part of the world and they, they're looking for very specific cargo. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you could divert ships. You could cause all kinds of issues with, with the cargo itself. Um, yeah, I, I think I, <laughs> I'm just thinking about like looking for the, the 1976 me. Toyota Corollas on it. I, I, I feel very responsible right now because I'm kind of forcing you, you to talk about pirates. No, I, let's, let's not talk about pirates. That's just the fun. There the fun is a piracy, a piracy map if you want to see all of the, the spots where. Really? Uh, Can you share that with me, please? Yeah, I think it's well, called anti piracy map. Okay. If you okay. It, yeah. All right. I'll, is that all, Is that built through OSINT as well? What's that? Is that built through OSINT? Um, I think it's actual like reports, like law mm. reports, okay. like people have filed, <laughs> like because it has details of like you know somebody came on the ship with a gun or you mm. know whatever. It has those details with the actual thing, event that happened. You mean with a sword? That, that's the pirate I'm thinking about. These are modern pirates. <laughs> no, I think I think I'm like uh, time traveling right now. So let, let's get away from this. Uh, tell me a little bit about the connection that that there is between, of course, the OSINT that that you do specifically, and then how you can actually use this information to go outside, maybe from the security environment, and and apply the research that you guys do into, you know, maybe make a better supply chain, make resolve some issue that are arising, especially now that the supply chain is on everybody's mind in the news about 
you know, the, the, the pandemic and other things that's been happening in the world on, on how now people realize it's not just about ordering something online and it's magically appears <laughs> on, uh, on their doorstep. So how is this functional for business and, and society in general? I think one key that a lot of people probably don't consider is, you know, when you're looking at how your your stuff is set up, your organization, you, you think, oh, this one thing, this is, this is fine. We're leaking a little data, but it's not really bad. Um, but I don't use just one thing. You know, I see your ship on the map going somewhere. I get a few details. Then I go somewhere else. I find the people on the ship, running the ship, go somewhere else. I get all your company details. <laughs> all those things put together uh, make a good picture of what the ship is doing, who owns it, all of that, and that can be used. So I think maybe organizations need to think a bit more about the details that are being released uh, on their ships or uh, on the, the people going on the ships. Maybe don't take pictures of, you know, the secret missions that you're doing. <laughs> don't, don't take a picture or a video and put it up online on YouTube. Um, but like we can buy in OSINT, we rarely just use one source. You know, it's the combination of details put together that we use. Um, and, and you can come up with a lot of information that way. And, and information sharing between between all of the things, right? It's like, kind of like yeah. getting all the data and, and putting it together, you know, using GPS. We talked about space before and aerospace and, and, uh, and, and, and ocean. You get the big picture, really, of what's going on in this yeah. much larger ecosystem than just the silos to say, yeah, no, I'm just going to check what's happening to, to boats or train or automobile. Right. And if you're looking into something like... Um, uh, on on maritime Twitter, <laughs> there's a lot of people who follow, you know, oil oil vessels. You know, maybe mm. doing sanction, going to sanctioned countries, doing things they're not supposed to do, um, and they go like way out of the way, trying to like cover up the names on the side of the boats. They'll like put put tarps over them or like paint over part of their number so that you can't mm. see it. Um, but you know, we, they might shut off their satellite, so we can't see it when we're tracking it. Mm. But, you know, if we have access to visual satellite, that we can see it meeting with another ship and transferring oil, you know, we can get around them trying to hide their identity. Or maybe we use RF capability and see who they're communicating with. Um, or, their 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 communications on social media. Maybe they're actually saying what they're doing, which is often the case. So there is this uh, this environmental activism as well that is part of the picture. Yes, I I didn't even think about it, but it makes completely sense. Yeah, and and that happens a lot with um you know with the sanctioned vessels and with illegal fishing and dumping and uh, oil spills, uh, yep. things like that. Yep. See, Sean, it's not just about pirates. It's not just about <laughs> pirates. Now, so I, I'm going to go back to the the Suez Canal to talk about. I want to look at the impact of of this stuff. And there there are two things that you you mentioned in in your talk that caught my attention. Many things, but these two Nicholas in Cage. particular, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the answer. Um, no, but the first is liability of 
goods on a ship and many ships in this case, in the Suez Canal case, where there's huge loss. Um, so that I think it's the ELI five law or something. Oh no, <laughs> that was just explained like I'm, I'm five. That was just cool Reddit speak <laughs> <laughs> for the kids. For the kids. Um, and then, so I guess the, the general idea is that they all share the responsibility. Yes. Whoever's part of, part of that. Anybody who has thing. cargo on the ship. Right. So if it's a target, if, if target has a cargo container on a ship and Walmart has a cargo container on a ship, um, they all split the cost um, of the loss. Right. Right. And then the other thing, which was more interesting to me was the, the, the alternate routes that or the alternate route <laughs> that, is being, <laughs> that is being groomed as we speak, if I understand correctly. Oh, the Northern uh, Sea Route. Yes. And what implications does that have on, I mean, global society? Uh, so there, there's two routes. There's one going down um, around like Argentina and that I think added like 10 days onto the journey. Um, but then there's the other one that goes up around Russia in the Northern Sea Route. They want to control that whole area. Um, so they are currently building up ports and, and all kinds of stuff in there. Um, they have nuclear icebreakers that are traveling through there. Um, there have been some ships going through there. Uh, the implications are, are very environmental as far as I know at this point, um, the, there's a lot of concerns about the vessels traveling through that area um, because of the fuel that they use, um, causing a lot of environmental problems in through there. Yeah, but also, probably. you know, having Russia c control a whole main shipping route is probably, you know, not great for us. Yeah, and I, I don't want to start any uh, conspiracy theories, but one one would imagine that causing repeated delays and loss <laughs> in the traditional route yeah. uh, might promote that other route from uh, being... I mean, they, de they definitely desirable. jumped on it when, <laughs> when there was the backup in the Suez Canal. They immediately said, well, you know, the Northern Sierra will be open soon. It will be perfect. <laughs> Come mm. join us. Yeah, coincidentally, we got something for you. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, but I do it, think it's a very dangerous area to go through because of the thick ice. Yeah, that doesn't sound. I'm, I'm actually looking at snow coming down now, so that sounds pretty <laughs> worrisome. Um, let's let's talk about collaboration, like global collaboration or regulation, because you know you always think about when you and we had this conversation again not to go back in my passion which is outside of cybersecurity, which is a space but you know the, the ownership of the satellite the ownership of the, the space you know you can't really own that and there was a specific reference to to the ocean right like once you're in an open ocean there is no boundaries so the responsibility yeah. it's it becomes a, an issue which we know in cybersecurity often it's you know the attribution itself What's going on in terms of legal um, col collaboration agreement between different, um, you know, European community and, and the United States and so forth to kind of make the ocean a little bit more secure? And, of course, the role of uh, OSINT in all of this. 
Yeah, there are a few agreements. Um, I, I don't know them offhand. That's okay. But yeah, <laughs> just, the, just there are a few agreements, especially around uh, like Taiwan and uh, China and that area where lots of things happen, uh, especially with ships. Uh, there's a lot of um, group governing of the sea. But like you said, once you get out so far, you know, I, I forget the distance from shore, but it's, you know, deep ocean. It's kind of a free for all. A lot of times the, the ships will meet out there and do, you know, the things they're not supposed to be doing, transfer oil or transfer goods or, you know, whatever. They go out there specifically into a region where it's not very well uh, governed, I guess. And they do what they're, mm. they're trying to accomplish. And then they go back. Um, I, I don't know the solution to that. Mm. I, I know that there are things in place and they're trying to, uh, there's a new, there's some new law with um, IMO numbers um, and just governing the actual identity of ships because mm. uh, you don't even need to have satellite on your ship, your vessel until you're a certain weight. So fishing vessels may not even have satellite on them mm. for you to track them. Right, right. Because it, 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 kind of, it kind of makes me think about that when you mentioned that if two large companies or maybe even more, they're sharing a container, they're sharing an entire ship, they 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 share the, the, the loss. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like, it, it sounds like a, a wild west. <laughs> I don't yeah I don't think a lot of people realize like how crazy the middle of the ocean is yeah so the, and it's the hard business. as OSINT, OSINT investigators because there's you know with flight tracking you have trackers that are free that mm. people can use and they can track things for free and do uh you know humanitarian type watching uh you know for for things illegal things there's no free maritime tracker there's, there's nothing anybody can use without paying for it, um, which kind of hinders a lot of OSINT research because you have to pay for it to use it. Right. So, so talking about availability to data, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually head into port for a moment. And let's look at this from, from a general business perspective. I don't know if, there's, if we can change the, the maritime scenario uh, and and make it into an an analogy <laughs> that other businesses can use. What what's the equivalent of of the sea and the shipping lanes and the vessels and the goods for a regular business? Uh, what can they learn from the maritime world with respect to OSINT, how it's used for and against them in the world of business? Uh, I mean, I think they can take the lessons that we've learned um, with the ever given getting stuck and um, some other supply chain issues we've, we've had and is the Homeland security type issues and just look ahead because we knew that that was possible in the Suez canal. We knew it was a choke point there. There are several choke points around the world and we know that could happen if something shut down there it could cause a huge problem but nobody thought of any you know remedies or, or like planned for that and I, th I think that's a big lesson is you know you have to kind of plan for a lot of these things 
they, they probably will happen, especially with, you know, if you're looking at supply chain, if you're a company that ships things, um, which most do, that that's supply chain is a very important part of, of your organization. And you need to plan for these types of things to potentially happen and they could shut you down or cost you millions, if not billions of dollars. Yeah, it, it kind of make you think, and and I think we're, we're going to go into the favorite, my favorite part of every conversation, which is looking at the future, and it, it's kind I mean, of interesting. Not me, because I'll I'll take us to food, <laughs> <laughs> which is definitely <laughs> relevant when you it talk about the supply chain. So, uh, so my point is, I, I was making the joke of the pirates, of course, going back in time, and 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 I, I mean the maritime. It's been the first one that has been connecting different cultures, different countries, and allowed like a, a global market. And and then we're still we're still relying on it. And and I think many people don't don't really understand that. It, again, like I said before, stuff happened magically. Maybe people think everything is flying right now, <laughs> but it seems True. to me that. It seems to me that the future is is still gonna be on boats, big boats, and. Um, and there is going to be always the fact that the ocean is a really big, <laughs> big space and it belongs to really no one to control. So how do you see the, the future of, uh, of security on, on the ocean and transportations and in the whole supply chain um, developing? I think it's going to get harder because there are going to be more unmanned ships. Hmm. I, I, okay, let's go there. Let's go there. <laughs> yeah, there are a few that are out there on the ocean now, um, but I I think that that will increase um, because they're going to bring costs down, uh, which all you know opens up the vectors for for hacking into a ship by a lot, um, especially when there's not someone on there to immediately remedy whatever has happened. Um, I'm sure they can do something uh, virtually, but that's beyond me. I don't know how to do that. But uh, but I, I, I foresee that being an issue. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, all, all the problem we have with uh, making legal and more, more available autonomous car, which is, you know, the streets and the fact that they were not designed for it, it feels like, it sounds to me, the ocean may be a, an easier uh, way to, to utilize on on men yeah. uh, vessels, so, but then of course that's gonna get it fun for. And it's not just <laughs> autonomous ships or vessels; it's autonomous ports. I mean, a lot mm. of the um, like berthing of vessels is done autonomously. They they come in and they they park themselves, I guess, <laughs> with the with the <laughs> stuff that is in the port. Um, and then you know, out in the ocean, you have the oil rigs too. Um, the platforms, I'm sure those are becoming increasingly more autonomous. So when you have all of these systems just sitting out there, uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's Sounds like a James Bond movie. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, we we touched on, you, you do quite a bit more in your talk, uh, but we briefly touched on ports uh, here. And that, that's a big part of this as well. And I'm wondering, and you mentioned the oil rigs, which are stationary and soon to be unmanned. Uh, I'm wondering, are there other things, maybe not on top of the water, other things below water or other stationary things that 
that most people don't even think about that are part of this ecosystem? Yes. Like, like um, registration, something? I don't know. What yeah, are like a big one I can think of uh, right off the top of my head is undersea cables. Um, there are maps of undersea cables. And this, if you live on an island or an army base is on an island and there's only three undersea cables that supply all of the uh, communications to an island. And uh, sh there are ships that are known for scanning over top of these cables from other countries to, to see where they're at and what's going on. Um, that, <laughs> that would be a concern of mine, um, national security wise. Um, they they also scan for things underground, just like the layout of the land under under the sea, because they want they have these unmanned uh, drone. I guess they're drones or like undersea drones <laughs> that they send out for for reconnaissance and things. Um, there's just there's so much um, that you wouldn't believe. <laughs> And there's maps of the platforms too. Like if you're looking for oil platforms, there's maps for that and all of the the pipes that go to them, who owns the pipes. Um, there's just a lot of information out there. Valves on the pipes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can look up exactly who owns it, where it runs, um, where, it, where it comes from, where it goes to, who it supplies. Well, I mean, and you think that there's nothing out there. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah, nothing. It's just Not me really. and my little sailboat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like just me and my little tin can floating in space. <laughs> <laughs> and then there is a ton more. Well, I, I feel like this is a very fascinating conversation, and I am definitely not, not the most knowledgeable person about this topic, but you really got me thinking about the complexity of all of this. And... Uh, I would love to have even more in-depth conversation as you you have new presentations and new new talk and it's uh, it's fascinating, Sean. Yeah, you, you got me. You got me thinking. That's all I want is <laughs> to make people as excited about ships as I am. I um, love it, and you uh, yeah you can tell the passion. You can tell the passion. Yeah, you inspired me with the post and uh, you excited me with the conversation. And for those listening. Uh, we've mentioned a few things. There's a, a video of, her, of Ray's talk and a medium post. And I'm sure there are other things that Ray would be happy to share with us uh, in the show notes as well. So stay tuned for that and uh, connect with Ray and, and uh, get out to sea and, and dig into some most <laughs> into everybody. Yeah, I was I was invited to talk at DEF CON uh, this coming year at Hack the Seas. So I should have something there i haven't decided some i was thinking something about the northern sea route we'll see Lovely. very cool and we and we sure hope to see you there that would be as, ideal as things to, uh, hopefully will go back to normal to be but. in person again in las vegas <laughs> for defcon yeah yeah definitely miss defcon all, all yeah. the coverage of the villages yeah i've never been uh, in you've never been awesome yeah you're gonna love it <laughs> so hopefully We'll see you there. We'll learn even more about hacking the sea. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you Thanks, for having Rick. me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. 
iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.